Testament characters, and uh, I realize that there are hundreds, so this could go on for decades. Um, <laughs> I don't plan on <laughs> doing Wednesday nights uh, for decades, but I do know that uh, it'll take us a little while to work through uh, several characters in the in the Bible. Some are going to be well known. Some will be maybe a little more obscure. And uh, maybe you've done some character studies. I've read uh, some uh, a couple of books, and I've used one of those for uh, source uh, material in my study for tonight's uh, study. But there's some good material out there. And uh, Herbert Lockyer, All the Men of the Bible, is an excellent resource for a really an exhaustive list of all the men of the Bible. And something uh, is said about each one. And uh, that is one of the, the books that I have used in my study uh, for this uh, series and for tonight's study. I'm not a, a big uh, follower of religious art. And uh, I am not saying that I know anything about this picture or how accurate it is. Obviously, it's just one artist's rendition of uh, Elijah at Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, and we know the story well. And the, the word crusader, I know that often brings up images of knights in shining armor and the Catholic Church and religious. Come on, you've worked for this whole time. Spined jellyfish, milk toast husband. Okay? That's what he is. He is run over, controlled, manipulated by Jezebel. Jezebel is not a name that you see popularized in our culture today, or any culture that I know of. Don't know of any little girls that are named Jezebel. Her reputation is one of evil, idolatry, immorality, deception, murder. She was a wicked woman. Boys, look out for the Jezebels. They're out there. They're out there, okay? Ladies, don't marry a milk toast, weak spine, jellyfish husband. And certainly don't lead him into idolatry, okay? But there's lessons even in relationships in the marriage of Ahab and Jezebel. But Elijah just steps on the scene. Ahab is the king. Yes, he has the throne, but we know that Jezebel is the one who rules the roost. She's the one who's manipulating, and yet Ahab is the one who holds the office of king. And he's obviously a central character. But what was the false god 
that Jezebel introduced into Israel was Baal. And Baal was a, a god, from what I understand, of agriculture and, and that, that sort of, of prosperity. So Baal would have been a god that they would have prayed to in hopes of receiving rain and sun and to keep famine away and drought away so that they could have prosperity and they could have their crops and all of that that came with it. In an agrarian agricultural society, that was obviously huge. That was their economy. So, of course, when Ahab is confronted by Elijah, what does Elijah deal with? There shall, be, there shall not be dew nor rain the year, these years, but according to my word. So we see God dealing specifically with that God Baal and the fact that Baal could not get the dew and the rain for all those years. And so we see Elijah stepping on the scene and confronting Ahab and directly the miracle of God, the judgment of God, dealt with the sin of idolatry specifically regarding Baal and his supposed oversight of agriculture and the economy and the prosperity that went along with it. So who is Elijah? He is, his name combined together, El, Elohim, God, meaning strong one, the one who created the universe, and Jah, the name for Jehovah. Strong Jehovah, we see the eternal, immutable, self his strength, all wrapped up in the meaning of Elijah's name. That was probably done. But we don't do it nearly like the uh, Jews would, would have done in the naming of their children, oftentimes, and we see it in Scripture many times, a child is named because of a certain circumstance or because of the way God uh, was working in that person's life or whatever uh, miracle or intervention that God had done, the child is named in recognition of that. So we don't know a lot about Elijah, but we do know his name is significant in just the, the, the definition of it. And then we see in Matthew 11 and verse 14, the Greek form is Elias. And uh, that is just simply the Greek transliteration of Elijah or translation from the Hebrew into the Greek. In Matthew 11 and verse 14, he's identified as Elias. Tishbite. Okay, we see there in uh, 1 Kings 17 and verse number 1, Elijah the Tishbite. What do we know about this particular area or this family ancestry, this, this background, uh, possibly ascertain is that uh, he was probably from uh, the Galilean town of Tishbe. So being a Tishbite, he would be from the town of Tishbe. And so that would have been a Galilean uh, town, which would be up north. And we can kind of see... I don't know how well this will, will work on the screen there. It disappears, doesn't it? But you can see the region of Galilee. So he was from the northern parts of 
of Israel there in the region of Galilee. And he was a Tishbite. And this area was west of the Jordan River. Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan River. So I'll go back to the map. And we'll take a look here on the right-hand side. Again, you can't see it if I tried to point to it because of the electronic uh, background there. But you can see Gilead to the east of the Jordan River. And so our understanding is that he would have been on that side of the, of the river coming out of that region into Israel and preaching and prophesying and confronting. And his ministry would have been on the, the west side of the Jordan River. But notice that this area of the, of the country was an area of rocky terrain in somewhat when John the Baptist comes on the scene in the New Testament he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah how did how did John the Baptist what was his appearance he wore camels a coat a cloak made of camel's hair and he ate locusts and wild honey right so, not the normal standard diet for the average Jew, the average person. So, if we consider where Elijah came from, Elijah would have been considered a person in the normal, average time frame, the culture, as a somewhat backwards can I, can I maybe use a modern vernacular, a country bumpkin preacher? Now, there are some country bumpkin preachers who have no clue what they're doing. And they're, they're truly country bumpkin, not all of them. Not all country bumpkin preachers. That's a stereotype. And there are some good ones out there. Believe me, there are some that they fit the stereotype. <laughs> but uh, there, there are many good ones. And Elijah came out of a region that would have been considered backwards, culturally unacceptable. Who would have ever thought that God would a person from that area of the country to preach the gospel and to confront kings and to perform miracles? This is one of four major time frames in all of Scripture where there are gifted men with miraculous powers. Okay? Men gifted with miraculous powers. There's only four times in all of Scripture where we see that. The time of Moses, the time of Elijah and Elisha, the time of Christ and the apostles, and then in the book of Revelation. We see it again with the, uh, uh, the two witnesses. Notice that in, those, in, in at least three of those four, not necessarily so much with the two witnesses, though they had prophetic gifts, they, they have prophetic gifts in the time of the tribulation, okay? But notice those other three times where there are men gifted with miraculous abilities. Those are three times where there is a tremendous amount of Scripture that is given in holy writs. The Word of God, backed up with miraculous sign gifts, and as the canon is complete, those miraculous sign gifts in the form or in the 
person of a prophet goes away. Okay? So when these guys and these girls, these women, these men, so-called apostles and whoever, whatever title they go by, you see them on TV and there's various ones we can name. When they claim to have miracle working power, they don't. They have the power of persuasion, they have guilt, they have manipulation, and in some cases they have demonic power, but they don't have the power of God to perform miraculous gifts in the same sense that Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Christ, and the apostles or the two witnesses in Revelation have. Does that mean that God doesn't perform miracles? Sure he does. God still performs miracles today. Uh, some of us here are evidence of God's miraculous power and through modern medicine and technology and sometimes in spite of modern medicine and technology. There's no other explanation other than God did it. And God uses medicine and God uses the technologies and there's again evidence right here of people who are alive because of those advances. There are people who used to have their blood let out, thinking that their blood was diseased, and by letting out their blood, they would get well, and then they end up killing them because they took their, their blood, uh, too much of their blood, and the life of the flesh is in the blood. So all that being said, Elijah was not a person from an area of the country that people would have said, yeah, that's where God's going to bring somebody. Galilee, we know from even the time of Christ, Galilee was considered the lower uh, part of Israel, not as bad as Samaria, but definitely not like high-ranking Judea, not like the, the city of Jerusalem and the elites and the ruling class. And we've been dealing with the religious leaders and their pride and their hypocrisy in, in, in the book of John as we've been studying through the book of John. But this was not an area of the country that anybody would have said, yeah, there would be a man of God who would come from that area. But again, it shows us that God can take what is foolish to the world and make it mighty for him. So again, I can't help but make the application. It's many times not the people who are lifted up in their pride and thinking they're all that that God uses. As a matter of fact, God often has a way of causing those lifted up in their pride, thinking they're all that. He often has to set them aside because they're too full of themselves for God to use. And God has chosen the weak things, and he's chosen not the mighty, but the foolish things of the world to confound the mighty, to confound the wise. And we have too many big shots in Christianity today. We need a lot more little shots. We need a lot more little BBs, little pellets that are simply used by God and taken and molded and shaped according to God's will, according to God's plan to perform God's work in spite of us. Because too many times when we're full of ourselves and we think we're all that, we can't be used by God because we think we got it all figured out. We think we know what is better to do with our lives than even God himself because doesn't, doesn't God realize how gifted we are? Isn't it, it's an honor for God to use me. Doesn't he realize how wonderful I am? And then that comes out in various ways. It manifests itself in various ways. And we've all seen people who pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And I've seen it. I've only been in the ministry 25 years, but I've seen through the years 
men and women, boys and girls, who they're very talented. They have a lot of good things going their way, and they trip and stumble and fall over their own pride. Some of the smartest kids I have ever seen go through high school, scoring almost a perfect score on the ACT. Tremendously talented people. They could be sending rockets to the moon today. They could be sending the Hubble James Webb telescope to the far reaches of the universe, but their lives are a complete wreck because they were smarter than God. They were smarter than the Bible, and they were smarter than all the teachers in the school. They were smarter than everybody that ever told them anything of what to do. As a matter of fact, they were so smart, they didn't even need their mom and dad, except for to pay their bills and to put food on the table. And then eventually they said, fooey with them, and spit in their mom and dad's face and walked out, and now their lives are a wreck. Very few of them have even come back to the Lord at all. Many of them are still spinning out of control. Sadly, some of the smartest people that I've known, some of the smartest students, many times, they're too smart for God, too smart for the Bible, too smart to ever submit themselves to the Word of God and to the will of God. So we, can never, we, can, we should never let pride get in our way. Elijah came from an area of the country that 99.9% of the people in that day would have said, that area of the country, Tishba, uh, Gilead, really? And yet God used Elijah in an incredible way. He came out uh, of the wilderness and he walked up to Ahab and I don't even know, did he have security clearance? Did, did, did he have all of the uh, press uh, passes? How did he get in there? How did, did he just meet Ahab along the way? We don't know exactly the circumstance. But can you imagine the boldness that it took Ahab with Jezebel controlling him and with Baal worship and all that was going on, with all the power, Elijah walks up to Ahab. And he says, this day, we read there in 1 Kings 17, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. That's boldness. <laughs> that takes some courage. And this is a man whose boldness came from the Lord. Not because Elijah came in saying, Ahab, don't you realize who I am? I am. And did he list off his titles? Did he show his credentials? Did he pull out his security clearance and his pass? And did he say all the things that made him worthy of telling Ahab? No, he said, as the Lord liveth, before whom I stand. God has given me the authority. God has given these words. This is a message for you from God. And sometimes we have to be that instrument. It's not fun sometimes. It's not fun sometimes as a pastor to have to be that instrument. Sometimes it's not fun as a parent. But God has placed us in that role, in that place. God puts us in places of leadership, in places of responsibility. And it's not fun. I know that some people, they run from places of leadership and responsibility. They run as far as they can. There are some people, they, they want all the titles. You've met people like this? They want all the titles. They want president, CEO, CFO, the man in charge, the woman in charge. You know, they want first, they want whatever that title is, but they want none of the responsibility. They want none of the 
hard parts of that. Oh, they want the paycheck. They want the money. And they'll be glad to tell everybody else what to do. But they won't lift a spiny little finger one ounce of the work. To serve one iota of the time. But they'll be happy to tell everybody else. And they love the title. But they don't want to be servants. And they don't want to be the one responsible. And they don't want to do the confronting. They don't want to do the hard thing. And it's tough sometimes to be in that place. But we have to do it. Elijah came out of the wilderness, considered backwards, considered someone who was probably not worth anything in the cultural standing, in society's standing. And yet God said, this is the man I'm going to use. Because there was nothing there for Elijah to be proud of. He simply said to the Lord, at some point, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, Lord. And can you imagine when God told Elijah, okay, you're going to go talk to Ahab. We don't hear any, I know there's been the Gideons and there's been the Moses and there's the, the people that have questioned me, Lord. We don't hear any of that with Elijah. We don't know everything that led up to verse number one. Maybe Elijah did have some of that. I don't know. I'm only surmising. I don't want to be dogmatic. But Elijah came out of the countryside, came out of the wilderness, walked up to King Ahab and said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand. And then he pronounced what God said was going to happen. No dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Incredible. We'll only get to the first point and then we'll have to bring this to an end for tonight and come back next week. But the very first point that we're going to look at, and we'll just touch on these and then we'll uh, come back to this, Lord willing, next week. We'll see, first of all, Elijah in a time of triumph. He is boldly proclaiming, announcing God's judgment to Ahab in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1, comes on the scene and boldly makes that announcement. And then we'll see him in the very next verse, obeying the word of the Lord to go where? Get thee hence, verse 3, and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook chariot that is before Jordan. So God takes Elijah and sends him to the king, pronounces and announces a judgment, and then he says, okay, Elijah, you're going to go down to a little trickle of water called the Brook Cherith. Now, I grew up, and it was a creek. And then I learned that it's also a crick. <laughs> and then there's rivers that look like creeks, and there's creeks that look like rivers. Wildcat Creek, to me, looks like a river. And then Wabash River is a river. But anyway, and then there's the Mississippi River, which makes the Wabash River look like nothing, right? But anyway, the Brook Cherith, small creek, and that's where God sends him. And he has to wait on the Lord there, and he's fed by ravens, the trust. And then verses 8 through 24, we'll see uh, next week, we'll touch on the, the miracle there with the widow at Zarephath, and then he raises her son, so he's doing God's work, and then he has to confront or challenge God's enemies, and that's where we see him on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, Lord willing, next week. That's our time for tonight. Thanks for being here. I know it's a little unusual, a little uncomfortable. I uh, appreciate you coming out, uh, and uh, it's exciting to see what is going on in the auditorium. If you can come and help us out Saturday, that'd be great. Don't forget to sign up. And uh, you can do online as well if you don't know what your plans are quite yet. 
Uh, we hope to, to see you on Saturday and getting things ready for Sunday. And then um, if we can turn this room around and get six to eight tables in like a rectangle up there toward the front of the room for the men's breakfast on Saturday, that would be great as well. Let's bow for prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for bringing our church together tonight. Thank you for the work going on in the auditorium. We pray that, Lord, that will continue and everything will get uh, buttoned up and finished up, Lord. And we'll be able to get the pews installed and get everything ready for Sunday. We thank you for your provision there. We uh, have many needs before us that we've even prayed for some tonight. We thank you for the example of Elijah. And Lord, may we have uh, the kind of humility and the courage that Elijah had in our Christian walk, in our uh, walk with you, and in the, the roles and in the responsibilities and the privileges that you give us as your children. And uh, Lord, help us to be faithful in those. Thank you for Kids for Truth tonight. And thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Guide and direct the remainder of the week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks so much for being here. We'll pull chairs and then...